Um, it said something about all members. Well, the reality is it's that all members, attenders, anybody that you give us an email address for will receive right now media subscription, okay? And it's a great, great tool. Um, I gave it to our small group leaders uh, about uh, five or six weeks ago to kind of preview. And uh, they have looked at uh, tons of it, and a lot of, many of them have just, just raved about the opportunities. In the video, it said there was over 10,000. That was made about 18 months ago. Actually, there's been over 14,000 videos now in that library and continues to grow. And they're good stuff. It's not just, uh, you know, it's great speakers, uh, really good stuff from all, all across the board of Christian, Christianity. Also, over 2,000 videos for, uh, for kids, and they're high-quality stuff for kids. If you, you know, you can use it for small groups. You can use it for personal enrichment. You can use it for study. You can use it for kids. You can use it for all that stuff. It's, and it's for you guys, it's free. The church does pay a subscription for it. And we'll look at it this year. We'll do, have it till next year. And if, if it works well, we'll continue to have it. But uh, Right Now Media is, uh, is a great, it's kind of like the Christian Netflix. And uh, it allows you to uh, get, on, get on, on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer, and any of those things. And um, get access to just tons and tons and tons of just really quality stuff. My wife and I have used uh, some stuff, one of the studies from Francis Chan on marriage there. And uh, ourselves just together, and uh, we'll continue to do stuff like that as well. So, encourage you uh, to look it up. You should have received an email on Friday if we have your email address, okay? And the email would have said, "You have received a gift from Great Oaks Community Church right now." Media, da 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 da. You clicked the link. You went through the process. You signed up. Uh, if you did not re- uh, receive that, it's one of two reasons. One is that uh, it's in your junk mail folder, okay? Sometimes that happens uh, for stuff, so check that first. The second idea is that if you didn't receive it, is we probably do not have your current email address, okay? So make sure you e- give us that. You can either fill out the little form in your bulletin and put it on the Welcome Center, or you can let us know, and we'll put you in as well. So everybody who would like to have it, who's connected it any way at all, even your friends who you think would be, benefit from it, let us know. Give us uh, contact information, and you can have that as well, Okay. The next week, too, also, and I announced first service wrongly, I realized. I said it was going to be during this time. It's actually going to be during the 9 o'clock service. We're going to be having uh, a small group connection event, and one of the things we're going to be talking about in the next several weeks is the, whole, the importance of relationships. And um, we talk about small groups a lot at Great Oaks. Uh, I'm transitioning in the future to uh, that position as I go toward, I hate to use the word retirement, uh, because people think I quit. For me, retirement is transition. Uh, to something else, whatever God has in store for us. But I'm going to be transitioning toward adult ministries pastor uh, when we get a new lead pastor. Next week, you'll be introduced to our new pastor search team that's in the process of, uh, hadn't met yet, but we're going to be meeting and starting the process. Uh, and uh, so in doing that, just want to let you know uh, that uh, small groups are huge uh, uh, in the life of our church. They're not just a program. They're who we are. Uh, and we'll talk about why that's so important here in Scripture the next few weeks. So this morning, I just want to talk about this. We're starting a series. It's actually going to be all the month of September and November. November, October, September and October. And uh, during that time, we're going to talk about something that's, that's very prevalent in Scripture. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. You may just know this already. There's, there's like 50-plus verses in the New Testament that talk about the one, We call them the one another verses of Scripture. They talk about our relationships with one another. And actually the phrase one another is used over 50 times in the New Testament. 
talking about how we relate to one another and how important it is. This morning, though, what I want to do is I want to lay the foundation from that, something that Jesus said uh, in a verse that, that if you've been here any time at all at Great Oaks, you've already heard this verse numerous times because it's the foundation for what we do as a church, and we'll be looking at that. But before we do that, um, let, me, uh, let me just paint a picture for you and ask you to, uh, to kind of think about it and make a choice. Okay, this is a scenario that's not real. It's just something I made up, or actually I read this. It says this, suppose you're in a rubber raft, and a life raft, uh, you've been, you know, been one of these shipwreck things, you got off the boat, it's you and a friend, just you and a friend in a life raft. And you're out in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden you're approaching an island you see in the distance, but the life raft has a rip in it, and it's starting to sink, okay? And you realize that unless you lighten the load, uh, you're not going to make it there. You may both drown in the sea, okay? So you look around to see what's in your life raft, and you have a set of signal flares, a week's supply of canned food, and a five-gallon container of water. And the question is this, you must throw something overboard to lighten the load if you're going to make it to the island. What are you going to throw overboard? If you said your friend, it's what I thought when I first thought about this. Don't tell me some of you didn't think about that. Because you got water, you got food, you got everything else. You throw your friend over, you don't have to worry about it. It's all yours. Right? That little picture, that little scenario um, helps us to understand the struggle that we have between relationships and stuff. And what are our priorities in life? And, and priorities become most important when we have to make choices, right? When we have to make choices. The reality is this. If we had enough time to do everything, you wouldn't have to make any choices, right? But does any of you have enough time to do everything you could possibly do in life? Does any of us have enough time just to do the good stuff that we need to do in life? No, none of us have that, that possibility, and so in life, what it is we have to do is we have to make some choices. We have to set priorities about things because none of us, I don't care who you are, are smart enough or have enough time. We all have the same amount of time to do everything that we could possibly do. We try to do that, and we drive ourselves crazy. But Jesus spoke clearly in a passage of Scripture about the priority of relationships. And in this verse we're going to look at today, we're actually going to look at two different verses in Scripture. The first one we're going to spend most of our time on, then we're going to look at another verse a little bit later that supports it as well. But in Mark chapter 12, we see a passage of Scripture that talks about something that's hugely important. And Jesus talks about the priority of relationships. And the sermon title today is basically this, nothing is more important than relationships. And that's what this whole series is going to be about. Nothing is more important than relationships. One of the most uh, noticeable things about Jesus' interactions with others is how people like to ask him questions all the time. If you read in Scripture about Jesus, what you see is you see uh, crowds pressing in, and they always ask him questions. And his disciples suck, call him aside for questions. And even those who disagree with Jesus try to trap him with questions. And in this particular verse in Mark chapter 12, this day the questions are coming fast and furious, and one group asks a question about paying taxes, Another group asks a series of questions about marriage. And then this one teacher from the edge of the crowd asks a question with a slightly different tone. And this is the question he asks 
of Jesus. He says this, of all the commandments, of all the commandments, do we have that up there? Is it working? There we go. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And that's a good question, right? Now, we only think, when we think of commandments, what do we think of? The Ten Commandments, the top ten? But in the Jewish mindset, there wasn't just Ten Commandments, there was hundreds of commandments. There was all kind of Jewish laws that they had put together in Leviticus. You can read those. Uh, and, and the thing is, is they were thinking about all these. It was so confusing. They were like, which one of these do I need to do? What's most important? Because I can't do them all. Or at least do them all perfectly. And, in, and Jesus' answer to this leaves no doubt to what he considers the most important. Because he says it this way in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. He says, the most important one to answer Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then he adds this tag to it. Because he, only asks, he says, what is the most important commandment singular? But Jesus adds two. He says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he wraps them together by saying, there is no commandment greater than these. Plural. And it's kind of confusing because he ties two together. But obviously what he's saying here is this. By choosing these two commands as the most important of all the Old Testament commands, Jesus tells us how important relationships are. Because these two commandments deal with relationships. One with Jesus, one with God, and one with people. And he said, there's nothing, I mean, if you're going to set out value statements, and we had a little, pl- little, little signpost here, and we had one here that said God and others and stuff. He's not saying we have God, other stuff. He's saying God and others, God's here, others are here, and everything else is way down there. That's what Scripture tells us if you look at all of Scripture as a whole. And so, and he, he tells us that. So the lesson number one in Jesus' teaching about relationships is simply this. Nothing is more important than relationships. From beginning to end, nothing is more important. In the beginning, God created all of us for relationships. He made you to relate to others. And if you miss out on relationships and making that a priority in your life, you're missing the core reason for which God put you on this planet. And in the end, nothing is more important because nothing will last longer than relationships. You're not going to take any of your stuff to, to heaven with you. Sorry. None of your stuff. But you will have relationships in heaven. Yes, they will be different than they are now. I could go into a whole another sermon about how that is. Because Jesus simply talks to us in Matthew 22 about the relationship. Or we could have the same relationship you know, with, with marriage and stuff. And he says, no, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be better. So just look it up and you can read about that. But the thing is that your relationships with God and others, will the only thing that we have on this earth that will last for all of eternity is relationships. And so a life without relationships may well be a simpler life. For, for instance, you know, I mean, someday, you ever had a day like this when you, you go home and you go like, man, if I didn't have to work with those people, my life would be so much simpler. I mean, I've said it some days about ministry. I'm going like, man, if I didn't have people, I'd have no problems. The reality is if I didn't have any people, I wouldn't have a job. You know, but you, know, that, you say these things like that. So relationships are not always easy. But a life without relationships, yeah, it may be simpler, but it's also an empty life. It's an empty life. 
And the path to the greatest life possible and the greatest joy possible is found in the path that Jesus taught us to keep relationships at the top of the list. So place the highest value on relationships is what Jesus is saying in this passage here. Now, that's always been at the forefront of my mind. I understand how important that is. We talk about small groups here. We talk about all stuff. But recently, you know, I mean, once again, uh, once again, um, I realized just the last couple of weeks how important relationships are. Because two weeks ago, on the 23rd of, uh, of August, not quite two weeks ago, um, my wife and I get a call at 7 a.m. in the morning from our son, who lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is a five-hour drive, if you didn't know that, okay? And we get a call from him. We have our suitcases already packed. He says, we're ready to go. You don't know what that means. That means uh, my, my daughter-in-law was very, very pregnant, and she was ready to launch, and so we told him when she gets ready to go, when you get to the hospital, and they say, yeah, we're going to stay, everything. So, so the deal is, is he calls us, they've been in the hospital an hour, uh, not going to all the details, we knew what was going to happen, water broke, the whole thing, you know. Um, and, we're, and we jump in the car, and we drive five hours to Fort Wayne, Indiana. My wife and I take two cars because she was going to stay extra time to help out with the grandchild once they got home from the hospital. Uh, grandpa was not going to do that. Um, I've been more in a way that I would be a help. So anyway, so, um, so we do that. So we get in the hot car. We drive five hours. We lose an hour, of course, because we're going to the, you know, over there. And we get there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then uh, we think, oh, man, she's, everything's ready to go, fully dilated, fully effaced. All of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, talk to your parents. Uh, and, uh, and we're going like, it's going to happen any time. We go to the hospital, and for the next six and a half hours, we sit there, and nothing happens. Finally, around 9.30 that night, our, our, our son comes out, looking like he's somebody beating him with a stick or something, but he's, you know, worn out. He's been there since, you know, 6 a.m. that morning, and, uh, you know, he's, he's worn out. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, well, if he looks that way, what does our daughter-in-law look like? Um, and he comes to me smiling. And he says, the baby's been born, Everything, everybody's all right. As soon as we have the go, you can come in to see her and the baby. Two and a half hours later, midnight, we finally get in to see the baby, okay? And we're going like, wow, Whew. five hours driving. Let's see, from three till midnight is another nine hours. Is that nine hours? Okay, my math's kind of fuzzy here, okay. Uh, all that's going on. Why do you do that kind of stuff? Would I do it for you guys? Probably not. <laughs> I might come across town to go to the hospital. I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't go to Fort Wayne to see you probably, unless, you know, it's serious. So why do we do that? We do it because of this. Show me the first picture. There you go. We do it for that. That's a, yeah. That's Eli Daly White. Um, our, uh, He's the, we told our son he had to have at least one boy because there's no other white boys in the family. You, no, that's not what I meant to say. Uh, there's, <laughs> I have two other grandsons. Their last name, though, is not white. Okay, so he carries on the family name. Eli does. Uh, next picture here. That's a cute one. This is, that's him waving at us. You know, going, how you doing? Now, I want to tell you this. I'll show these because proudly because I just have to be honest with you guys. I've been to the hospital and seen lots of newborns. How can I say this delicately? 
Most new boards are ugly. I mean, they're shriveled, and, and they're red. If you haven't seen a new, I mean, a new newborn. I'm talking about a newborn. Most new, they, they get cute within a week or so, but you know, the first two days are just ugly. This was not one of those. And I, it's not just me saying that. My wife had dozens of people on Facebook saying, this child is really, and they put really in big giant letters with exclamation points, you know, really cute. So that's what I'm showing you. Okay, next picture. That was the... <laughs> Isn't that cute? My son and his wife found, that picture, found a picture like that on Pinterest. I'm going, well, there is some use, use to that thing, okay? And so they did it, and I, that's a photographer. That was actually the day after he was born, okay? That's, not a, that's a newborn picture, okay? And then the last picture is him with his little uh, cute hat on, and uh, that's what his room looks like, too. I mean, he's not home yet, but he's still in the hospital, but that's the deal. Okay, my cute grandson. Anyway, um, okay. I, I knew you wanted to see those, so I had to find a way to put them in a sermon. Um, but the reason that we traveled that far is because of what? Relationships. We have a relationship with our son, his, his wife, now with, with, a new, with, a, with Eli, you know, as well as our daughter and her husband and our two grandsons that live in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, so often in, in life we have this problem where, where we can't make, we had no, we had no, thought about what our priority was two Tuesdays to go. Get in a car and get down there because of relationships, not because economic gain, don't cost us money, you know, to travel and do stuff. And, you know, it wasn't because, because the weather is better in Fort Wayne than it is here, you know, <laughs> it's not, same thing. And Vicky and I have been talking about this, you know, as, and, and most of you know this, uh, we've been talking about our transition. I, I don't like to use the word, you know, retirement, but transition down the road of four years from now. Our, we've already talked about this. Where are we going to be? Transi- retirement for me means going to something else, probably part-time. It doesn't mean quitting ministry. It means doing something. I'd, drive, I'd, drive, I'd be driven crazy if I sat around. Uh, so we're going. But the issues are, you know, what, are, what determines where we go? Is the economics a little bit, you know, if we can't afford to live there, we're not going to go there. Good news is almost everywhere is cheaper than here. <laughs> Just to be honest with you, okay? Um, and another thing is, is, it, is, you know, my wife and I, if we had our druthers, now I use that phrase in the last sermon, everybody looked at me like, what is that? Our choices, okay? That's a good southern term, druthers. I don't know what that means. I just grew up with that. Uh, if we had our, our, our choice, we would go to somewhere like Florida. Because we both like warm weather. We like to be out year-round. We're outdoor people. We, we don't like to be co- cooped up. And I am not going to go outside running or walking when it's 12 degrees below zero. You know? But some people do that around here. I'm just not one of them. So is it about weather? I mean, if, if, if we went to the... We, we're trying to convince our kids they need to move to Florida. So we can move down there with them eventually. The reason is because the number one factor in our decision down the road will not be economic or weather, even though we'd like to make those the priorities. <laughs> it's going to be relationships. Because nothing is more important than relationships. We don't want to be hours and hours and hours and hours away from our kids from our aging parents who live in Roanoke, Virginia, um, and all those things, because nothing's more important 
than relationships. Now, the only way to change your priorities if, if that is not, if relationships aren't your number one priority is to begin to make different choices in your relationships. You know, indeed, Jesus teaches us how to do that. Now, today is an is, is a introductory sermon for this series. We're going to get very specific and very uh, focused and very um, how-to over the next several weeks. So, if you came today and we're not as how-to as you need to, realize over the next several weeks we're going to look at individual verses where Jesus and others in Scripture say, do, the, do this for one another and what that means in a relational setting. So it's going to be very practical over the months of September and October. Um, and, um, but Jesus tells us, uh, it, there, he teaches us how to make different choices. He says, what he teaches us to do is in that verse in, in Mark 12, it says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's it. That's how you make choices. Love God with all these things. So when Jesus taught that love for God and love for neighbor are to come first, he shows us the values that are to have the first priority in our lives. And then he described how to live out that priority of loving God in the words, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he talks about that. Now, there's a difference so often. And here this morning, what can happen is you can have in your mind like, well, yeah, I really value relationships. But the question is not do you value relationships, but do you live out those values? What really are your values? So let me give you a little, let me jumpstart your thought processes to see if you really do, if relationships or what are, whatever they are, what are they your priorities? So let me give you five questions this morning to ask yourself uh, every day. You can ask these questions every day that'll help you to understand what your priorities are. And I can guarantee you, if you answer these questions, to be honest, it will tell you what your priorities actually are. Not what you say you value, but what you actually value in life and what you do. First question is this. What's the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up? What's the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up? That'll say something about what you value. Number two, what does your schedule tell you about your priorities? If you look at your calendar or whatever it is that you schedule yourself, your, your phone, your iPad, your Android, whatever it is. If you were to look at those, that schedule, what would it say about your priorities? Number three, as you look at your checkbook, what gets paid no matter what? That'll tell you a lot about your priorities. You've heard about putting your money where your mouth is? It's true. That tells you what your priorities are. Number four, what do you find yourself talking about the most? That'll tell you a lot about your priorities. And finally, the last question is this. What's the last thing you think about when you your head hits the pillow at night? Now put all five of those questions together. And that'll tell you what your priorities are. Not what you value. You can value a lot of things and not do them. But what you think about, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, what you wake up thinking about, what you go to bed thinking about, those things are the things that, that you hold as the highest values in your life. So, you know, it's tempting to think about, of course, Jesus had time for people. Uh, they weren't, he didn't live in the fast-paced culture as ours. You know, we think that, Right? Well, the reality is Jesus had so many, I can't imagine his ministry demands. Because he had people come around. Let me just give you some examples about how he did in Scripture. Jesus' life is filled with encounters that show how he balanced the needs of people and the task before him. 
Uh, and, and you don't have to write all these down, but if you want to look them up later, just write the reference down. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Uh, Jesus was being pressured to hurry uh, through the crowds to see Jairus' daughter who was near death. He was going to make a death call in pastoral terms. But on the way, he encounters this lady who touches his garment. And, and on the way, what he does is he stops to listen to her. I mean, he was going to go do something important, right? Take care of a friend whose daughter was dying. But he saw this woman as a greater need at the time. In Mark chapter 10, verse 14, when the disciples tell some parents that Jesus' schedule won't allow time for their children, what does he do? Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. He's going, the relationship with these children is more important than this schedule I have right now to keep. In Mark chapter 6, verse 37, it says Jesus and his disciples plan to get away from the crowd. Uh, and, you know, and they're they're going to go on this kind of retreat. So what happens on this retreat? I can't imagine this. I've, I've had this happen, not quite to the scale. Um, 5,000 people show up to meet Jesus at this quiet retreat place. And when they show up to meet Jesus here at this quiet ret retreat place, they start, he starts to teach. And as it gets late that day, the disciples show Jesus the logic of sending the people away to buy something to eat. But Jesus says to them, no, you give them something to eat because they're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to have a relationship with me. And then in John 4, Jesus' disciples are shocked to find him taking the time to talk to a woman beside a well in Samaria. Because other teachers in Jesus' day brought themselves, uh, thought themselves too important to speak to women in public. See, in every example in Scripture we see where Jesus has a busy schedule, and he has a busy schedule all the time, he's never too busy for relationships. Because he lives out his values, and his value is nothing is more important than relationships. So let's get practical. It's easy to talk about the importance of relationships, but how can you turn that talk into action? How do we do relationships? Now, we're going to spend a lot more time over the next several weeks talking specifically about that, but just some of the things what Jesus had to say in this verse in, in Mark chapter 12 that we looked at earlier, this great commandment. Because he uses one word in that commandment when he talks about how do we love God, how do we relate to God, how do we relate to Jesus in different ways. He uses one word over and over and over again. He says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. All. Four times he says it. All. Not halfway. All. What does that mean? Now, I don't have time today to go into a lot of detail of this, but I simply say it this way. Uh, Tom Holliday, who's uh, one of the teaching pastors at Saddleback, Bapt uh, Saddleback Church in, um, in uh, California, uh, where Rick Warren is the senior pastor, uh, wrote a book called The Relationship Principles of Jesus. And in that book, he talks about, and this is, I wrote these down. He says, this is what these, these all mean. He says, love him. When Jesus says, love him with all of your heart, he says it about this. He says, your heart is where you feel. And he says, I'm choosing to focus here on the emotional side of the broader idea of heart in the Bible. And it needs focus because our expressions of love to God often have a formality that can quench our faith. Sometimes we just kind of have this, well, you know, I'm doing my quiet time. It's on my schedule. And there's no emotion, there's no attachment to that time with God. Let me ask you a question. When you really love somebody, are there emotions involved? 
I mean, I tell everybody when you come to premarital counseling, I go like, okay, let me explain something to you. Love is not just about an emotion. Love is about a decision in a direction towards someone. But in real love, there are always emotions involved. Now, there's good emotions and bad emotions involved. Hopefully there's warm feelings and good feelings. Sometimes there's angry feelings. But that's the way it is, because there's emotions involved. And the thing is to think that we can have a relationship with God and truly love Him with all of our heart and not have any emotions means simply we're just having this kind of like, it's not really a relationship. It's kind of like a duty that we do. See, our Father wants His children to express their feelings of love for Him. So here we're to love Him with all our heart. We'll talk more about that in the future weeks. Love Him with all of your soul. Tom Holliday says it this way, your soul is where you decide. It's the center of your, of your being. Have you ever decided to do something even though you didn't feel like it? Ever decided to do something even though you didn't feel like it? I thought it was funny, first, after, uh, before first service today, I was talking with a couple that was here, and I was going, hi, how you doing? I knew they were, they were heading out right after the service to go visit somebody. And I said, oh, what are you doing this afternoon? He says, oh, we're going to go visit family. And I said, is that good or bad? And he said, he said, well, <laughs> it didn't sound like he was real excited about it, by the way, but he did it anyway, because he realized it was important. The reality is when you love with all your soul, you do something, you, your, your will takes you in a direction you need to take. You have a will. You're not driven. You don't have to be driven. You've got emotions, but you don't have to be driven by your emotions or even by your thoughts. Your soul decides. Your will decides. It can decide not to decide to allow your emotions to have free reign, but when you do that, that's a decision of the soul as well. And so you've got to be careful there. So love, your, love him with all your soul. Love him with all of your mind. Your mind is where you think. Your mind is where your thoughts, your impressions, your intelligence, and learning happen. Faith in God does, listen to this, faith in God doesn't mean we stop thinking. Opposite of that, faith in God means that we think even more deeply about what's important. Because God wants us to, wants us to love him with all of our minds. And finally, love him with all of your strength. Your strength is where you physically interact with the world around you. At some point, a heart, soul, and mind of love must be translated into real actions. Once again, you can't just, you know, like I asked those five things, those questions about what are your priorities and how to figure them out. Eventually, you've got to come to a point of saying, okay, this is what I really value. And to do that, I, I'm going to have to do something about it. Truthfully, every week, folks, when, when, if, I come, if we come here... And I not only teach you scripture, but I don't only help you find something in the thing to do in scripture. Scripture should point you to doing. And so if you don't feel, at least understand what to do, I can't make you do it. But if you at least don't understand what to do, I failed. You may understand scripture. I mean, oh, that's a great passage. I understand the history of it. Oh, da, da, da. No, no, no. It's about doing. James said it this way, the faith without actions is dead. And so the thing is, is that he, we need to love him with all of our strength. So heart, soul, mind, strength. Feelings, decisions, thoughts, actions. If you want to change the way you relate to God, 
Your plan must involve all four of these. And if you're not feeling something about your way of relating to God, deciding something about it, thinking something about it, and doing something about it, then you won't see any change in your priorities and what you do. And then Jesus kind of concludes, after he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then he concludes the passage with this one little thing which kind of messes everything up. Because truly, it would be really easy, not really easy, but it would be easier just to love God, right? But then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to talk about how we've fleshed that out over the next eight or nine weeks, okay? But today, let me just say about this. In Luke 10, another passage, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but Jesus is having another discussion with a religious lawyer who asked Jesus a question that others had asked, and it was a popular question. He asked this question, how do I inherit eternal life? Great question. How do, you, you know, how do I get connected with God? And Jesus, Jesus um, draws from the man the familiar answer, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we go, oh, I just heard that. Yeah, that's what everybody heard in that day. And Jesus says, you're right. Do that, and you will live. What he's mean, live the life that God wants you to have. And then the guy's kind of like not satisfied with that answer alone. So he says, he, he kind of hums and hauls probably. And then he finally says, he asks a follow-up question. Well, um, uh, who then is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Good question. Shouldn't that be obvious? Obviously, it wasn't obvious. And obviously, we don't live this out too much sometimes because it's not obvious. Still. What kind of question is that? And Jesus not only tells him the answer to the story, he tells him a story. And it's a story, it's a parable, a story that we probably, if you grew up in church, you've heard a thousand times. A story about a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he's going down the road, he gets beat up, and he's laying beside the road, and two religious guys come by, a priest and a, a religious guy who works at a temple, and a temple assistant, they stop by, they don't help him at all. They're too important, too busy, too holy to touch the stranger beside the road. And probably some of the crowd at that point are going, yeah, I know that's how the religious people are. They talk about it all the time, but they never do anything about it. Ever heard that in our culture? About Christians? And then Jesus introduces into the story a character that they didn't think was going to be in a story. And his guy is a Samaritan. And we don't get this because we don't have this kind of animosity. I don't think any of us have the same level of animosity toward anybody that, that, that Jewish people had towards Samaritans. I was trying to think of some kind of analogy in this day, but the reality is I don't think there is any analogy. Probably the closest would be when I was over in Israel last fall, the, uh, the animosity that seems to be between some, not most, but some Jewish and, and uh, Palestinians. There seems to be some animosity both ways. It's, it's centuries old. It's just, it's just going through all kind of stuff, you know, and, and it's there. But anyway, Jesus says, you know, this, guy, this other guy's coming down the road after these two religious people who did nothing. And, and he tells them about how the Samaritan stops and he bandages the injured man's wounds. And he puts him on a donkey and he takes the stranger to an inn where he pays for his continuing care. And then Jesus looks at the lawyer and he's asking this simple question. Who then... Which of the three do you think became a neighbor? That word in Greek is the exact same word that's in the great commandments. Okay, so I don't think it's a different word. The word neighbor, who, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Which of these three do you think became a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hands of the robber. <laughs> and, you know, you're kind of trapped at that point. You're going like, I've got to answer it. It's obvious. And the obvious answer is in verse 37. It says, the one who showed mercy to him. The one who showed mercy to him. Basically, the one who cared for him. Now, I'm going to wrap this up by saying this. If Jesus' teaching here doesn't change the way you act toward others, I doubt anything will. Because you know what the point is? We're going to look at this over the next several weeks as well. In this parable, there's two things that come out of it. Number one, it pictures the value of loving everyone. Because this neighbor, who was this neighbor, this Samaritan, who acted like a neighbor to the Jew? He was not simply a friend. He wasn't a friend. He wasn't somebody that lived next door. He was somebody that lived in another country who was despised. Somebody who was so, so despised that they didn't want to have any kind of connection with them. So Jesus is saying here, your neighbor, when you love your neighbors yourself, your neighbor can be anybody and everybody. There's nobody outside of it. And it also speaks to the value, this picture here, to the value of loving someone. Yeah, we're supposed to love everybody, but can you, can you actually tangibly love everyone? I mean, you won't connect with that. But he's talking about when you connect with someone in your neighborhood at work or wherever you encounter people, the reality is, is you need to love someone the way, and we'll talk about this next week in, in, in John chapter 13, love them like Jesus loved them. Someone means I can only practice love toward people I am with right now. We're to love everybody in general. Not to push any, not to have any, say anybody's outside the potential of a relationship with me just because they're, they're different. And in this series, we'll look at the value of loving people in practical ways. And, uh, but let's be honest, it's, it's real easy so often. To, and the reason this, this, this uh, um, religious lawyer asked the question, it was not so he could expand his love. Why did he ask the question? So he could thought Jesus would give him an answer where he could limit his love. I don't have to love everybody. Not even. And then he says, Samaritans? The reason we limit our love is, uh, there's a bunch of reasons. Let me give you two. We limit our love because of our differences. When Jesus shocked those who listened to this parable, he, he shocked them when he made a Samaritan the hero of the story. Because he could not have mentioned anybody that they would most, that they would hate more. But he made them the hero of the story. When Jesus said neighbor, he, he meant everyone. Whichever person or group would be Samaritans for you, Jesus meant them. So whoever you hate the most, don't say it or it's not some people that every time you, they, you mention them as a group or as a person, you just kind of snarl inside. Because there's some people, probably in your past, that's treated you wrongly or done stuff to you or people that you're going like, man, I can never be friends with them. See, we limit our love because of our differences. We also limit our love because of our fears. Because of our fears. We, besides limiting our love because of our differences, we also limit love because of our fears. When Jesus' listeners heard him tell the story of the Good Samaritan, and they were traveling down this road, they would have immediately picked up something we easily miss. It was a great risk. It was a great risk for the Samaritan to care for the stranger lying beside the road. 
It was risky to be traveling out in those places, but to help somebody, it puts you at great risk. You know, when you stop somewhere like that, there was often a ploy that many people would use to get, you know, to had somebody else in the, in the shadows trying to lurk there to come and attack you and steal all your stuff. They knew that. That was part of the culture. It's like you and I are going down to the worst, the worst part of the worst city in the United States at 2 a.m. in the morning without a car, walking around deciding to help somebody. Is that smart? Probably not. But he's saying, like, it, 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 was, it was, well, sometimes we have fear. So let me wrap it up by saying this. What is Jesus talking about here? He's saying there's nothing more important than relationships. And because of that, we need to take the risk to love. We need to take the risk to love. We need to take the risk and begin to set aside a prejudice that's kept an entire group or nationality of people outside the bonds of your, the bounds of your love. We need to take the risk uh, and begin again to love someone whom we've stopped loving or have refused to love. And God knows that when we refuse to love, bitterness and a feeling of emptiness inevitably grows in our hearts. That's what happens. See, love is the greatest risk you'll ever take. It's the greatest risk you'll ever take. I mean, I know people that will skydive. Any of you ever skydived? Nobody here. Last service, we had three. Oh, you, okay. You're crazy. <laughs> I just want to see the crazy people were here, you know. For me, for me that's crazy because ter- I'm terrified of heights. I mean, I will get in a roller coaster when I'm strapped in and scream like crazy. But that, I mean, going to Chicago, Chicago and getting up in the, in the, it used to be called the Sears Tower, what's it called, Willis Tower there, and that gla- I'll never get on that glass thing, you know? Just freak me totally out if I did that, you know? But some people will skydive, okay? We'll take risks. I mean, some of you are doing other things just as crazy as that, you know? It's not really crazy, it's cool, you know? I just wish I was as cool as you were. Uh, but anyway... You know, and he'll do that. And it's, but, but I cannot tell you people will do that, but they won't take the risk to love. Because when you take the risk to love, you take the risk of being hurt. Right? And there's nothing that hurts more than love that's failed. But you'll never experience the joy of the relationships that God wants you to have unless you take the risk to love. I know, I don't know personally, but I've heard of CEOs who wouldn't flinch from a billion-dollar deal, yet they're terrified to love. They don't have any relationships around them. What's the deal? See, it's a risk to love, but it's the one risk worth taking more than any other. So as we conclude, it's it's basically this. Keep this in mind. The one relationship you can truly count on is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Lean on your relationship to him as you risk loving others. Others may disappoint you, but Jesus will never fail you. And he says if you live life without relationships, you you miss the point of why you're here. So don't miss out, regardless of your past history. Because God wants you to experience life in a full way. Over the next several weeks, we'll, we'll look at some very specific things that uh, God has to say. We won't look at all 50. There's 56, one another. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going to look at all 56, okay? 
But we'll look at a few of those. And in doing so, I think we'll see some things that are so insightful, so helpful, so practical about how to live relationships in a way that would not only honor God, but help our life to be enriched in incredible ways. Okay, let's pray.